Um, right now, though, we're going to talk about what's going on in Ukraine. We're early into the new year, of course, and uh, there are some signs that um, the Russia-Ukraine war may be at something of a turning point, or another turning point, maybe. At least from the Russian perspective, they've suffered some very heavy losses recently. Uh, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky has said that Russia is planning to call up even more troops and to try and launch a major offensive to try and turn the tide. At least that's his expectation. Um, this morning, Putin ordered his military forces to hold a 36-hour ceasefire starting tomorrow into Saturday in observance of the Russian Orthodox Christmas holiday. Ukrainian officials say it's it's a cynical trap, pure propaganda. So um, let's find out what is the latest. We're going to chat with retired Major General Dennis Thompson, who is a fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and at the University of Manitoba's Centre for Defence and Security Studies. Um, Major General, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate your time. Good morning, Chase. Good to be here. First of all, let's start with this announcement of a ceasefire. Is it um, a cynical trap in pure propaganda, as the Ukrainians say it is? Well, there's not much that Putin does that isn't cynical. <laughs> uh, however, in this case, uh, I think this is a, a bit of a desperate move. He's trying to signal to uh, perhaps those that are still sitting on the fence with respect to him that he's a decent fellow, but I think most people see through it. Uh, he's linked it to the Christian Orthodox Church, Church's uh, celebration of Christmas, which typically takes place uh, on the 6th, I believe it is. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, I don't think most people are buying it. Perhaps they will not be uh, engaged in any in any combat, but I'm sure the Ukrainians aren't going to let up. Um, he's, uh, in fact, Zelensky says he's quite certain that um, Putin is planning to launch a new offensive, try and turn the tide, calling up more forces. Um, is that uh, is that what we're seeing? Is that what the analysts are saying that Russia will try and turn the tide and launch new offensives? Well, the one place where they're still pushing hard is the, is the town of Bakhmut, which we've all heard about since uh, August September and is where the Wagner group as well as the Russian army is focused and they haven't made any real progress. It's a bit of a it's a bit of it puzzles most of us because we don't understand why they would make such an effort to capture a town that is of little significance. I hear it referred to sometimes as a strategic town and it may be the crossroads of of uh, several might be the crossroads for several uh, supply lines, but it's really not that important. And they have really leaned into it and taken an awful lot of casualties. And of course, the Ukrainians have as well. But I think that the battle of attrition in that particular area is certainly weighted on the Ukrainian side against the Russians. And the evidence of that is, of course, this barracks that was taken out yes. uh, two days ago where they, where the Russians claim they lost 89 soldiers, uh, which is, uh, it's quite remarkable that they would make that admission because the real number is probably a multiple of 89, and I wouldn't want to guess what it is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they always minimize. Um, in terms of that strike, I found it interesting. Uh, the Russian military came out and said it was a result of their soldiers um, using cell phones, and that's how Ukraine was able to target them. What, what do you know about that, cell phones on the battlefield? Well, it's the first thing you take away from soldiers in a professional army. Um there's a number of mistakes here, and uh, first, premier among them is to blame your soldiers. Commanders never blame their soldiers for this sort of uh, event. And I think what we've seen is that uh, it is true that uh, Russian soldiers were using their cell phones, but they were using their cell phones from a facility that was within easy range of the HIMARS rocket system. So if you're going to put soldiers in barracks for the to rest them up or to train or whatever, you you, you ensure that they're at least 
far enough away from the forward edge of the battle area or, or the front line that they can't be reached by uh, your your enemy's um, rockets or artillery. And this is clearly not the case. And on top of that, it's not the soldiers who put the ammunition in this barracks or in this uh, schoolhouse where they were sheltering. That would have been a decision made by commanders, and it resulted in even more deaths. So uh, to pin it on soldiers is a is a cop-out on behalf of the commanders. And the fact that there was ammunition present is, is uh, you know, unforgivable if you're one of the uh, mothers or fathers that lost a son in that massive strike by the Ukrainian uh, forces. What does it do? Because we're hearing all kinds of reports that support for the war and support for the people conducting the war in Russia is really starting to flag. People in Russia are getting more and more and more upset. Um, and this can't help. How, what, what, what do we know about how the Russians are feeling about what's happening? And it's interesting, uh, of course, most of the opposition to the war is occurring in urban centers, but a lot of the soldiers are coming from the rural areas. So that's one way that Putin and his regime have tried to deflect any criticism as a result of casualties. But it will start to pile up, which calls into question his ability to mobilize right. more soldiers. I mean, we saw uh, what happened when he, when he did this uh, first emergency mobilization, that as many soldiers that were mobilized also that same number of young men left Russia for for Turkey and other other parts around the world. And so if there's another call-up, you can rest assured that this time around it won't be as easy as the first time around. And, and that was a bit of a disaster, as we know. They, they've been feeding these uh, untrained men into a meat grinder yeah. uh, in the hopes that they can break the back of the, of the Ukrainian army, and they are not succeeding. In terms of how important that support it, it is, does Putin care? I mean, does he need to have the support yeah. of the Russian populace? Right. Every dictator cares about uh, popular opinion. Okay. Because when popular opinion turns on them, it's it's curtains. It's all over for them. So yes, he cares, but he but he he has to manage it through his own propaganda channels. And so what's interesting there is, of course, early on in the war, he got rid of any sort of op- opposing media outlets, including any that were based on the web. Uh, did his best, uh, probably unsuccessfully, because most Russians are fairly internet savvy, to block the news from the West, and then fed his own line into government-controlled media in order to 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 spin a yarn to the Russian people about what was act- what what the fantasy world that he's being uh, been briefing to the Russian population. So, if you own the communication channel, which he does at the moment, you can control the narrative. But you couldn't hide the number of deaths that they suffered at that barracks, so they had to come out with a figure that would. Uh, seem credible, at least to the Russian population, and uh, and then explain it away as being something that's just the cost of this special military operation that they need to continue to push on the fascists. Now, that message might work in the rural areas where Internet is very spotty and where other news sources are very spotty, but those that have access to VPNs, etc., in the, in the urban areas will know the real story. So I, I don't know how long it will take. It's tough to say. Right now, apparently, he has a pretty good grip on the uh, on the information channel, and there's no real ob- no real obvious organized opposition against the war inside of Russia. What about uh, the Ukrainian side? I mean, uh, obviously, war is awful, but it seems like they have I don't know if you would call it momentum, but it seems like Russia seems to be uh, in a tougher spot than Ukraine. Not not to minimize what they're going through, but I think you understand what I mean. 
yes, they definitely have the initiative, and they have since September. So they, they, the Russians clearly had the initiative at the front end of the war when they when they rolled into Ukraine uh, uh, in, in a fashion that surprised everybody, but in a, in a sort of haphazard fashion. They were fought to a standstill, and we had that period yeah. of attrition over the course of the summer while the Ukrainians... Uh, uh, Stiffened, uh, stiffened their defense and then received a number of uh, Western weapons, turned it around in September by taking back Kiev and then later Kherson, and now they're battling for the town of Kremina right now, uh, as we speak, whilst the Russians are, Russians are impaling themselves in Bakhmut. So they have the initiative. The, the big issue here is, of course, people to say that, uh, I mean, I've heard people talk about the war slowing down in the winter. The, the only time it slows down is in the transition periods between uh, uh, fall and winter and then winter and spring. And because it's been uh, uncharacteristically warm in Europe, it's still pretty sloppy in the areas where, where the ground combat is occurring in Ukraine. So once it freezes up, uh, I think all bets are off, and if I was a Russian soldier, I'd be pretty nervous. And, and so, I mean, it's impossible to track with the path that we're on. I mean, what what's the end to this, Major General? I mean, where, how do, how does this end? Do you has think? To be, has to be. It'll be. It'll be decided on the battlefield. Okay. I do not. No negotiating. To believe that. Well, the, the Ukrainians have no reason to negotiate, and plus, uh, uh, the, the only way they would negotiate it is if. Is if Putin wasn't in power, and I don't, I'm not sure that that's going to happen, and who knows who would replace him if he was displaced, uh, but it'll be decided on the battlefield. The big question is, once they push the Russians out of uh, out of Kherson uh, district in, in its entirety, and uh, Zaporizhia, where the, the nuclear power plant is, and the, and the entire Donbass, do they actually go and try and take Crimea? That's the big question, which has... Uh, after after having been occupied for eight years, a large Russian-speaking and Russian population, mm-hmm. uh, whether that is something they want to do, or perhaps they take all of Crimea back and uh, and and allow Russians basing rights of uh, Sevastopol so that they can keep their back black sea fleet in the port that they've already built. But that's entirely speculative. I don't know, but I, I do believe that Ukraine, quite rightly, will hold out for a decision that's that's arrived at on the battlefield in their favor and i have no doubt that that's what's going to happen it's, it's just a question of time it's remarkable that that's that's where we're at when you i think when this started back in february nobody would have predicted that ukraine would be in position of calling the shots on how this is going to end and possibly regaining territory that they'd lost years ago i mean it, it's shocking really it is, but it also shows you what happens when you uh, when you govern a com- when you accept corruption in governing a, a country. So, if we were to compare Russia to China, Mr. Putin has uh, has embraced corruption and and of course uh, run the country like a gangster yeah. and uh, and made sure that that money was spread around to all of his friends. Whereas Mr. Xi Jinping, who's also a dictator, has gone the opposite route and, and absolutely attacked. Uh, corruption inside his country in, in order and use it as a tool to get rid of his opposition. So uh, that corruption seeps all the way down to the lowest levels in the in the Russian military, and has resulted in a in a um, frightfully unprofessional force that hasn't been able to make the gains that they they should have easily made given the numerical superiority. Yeah. And at the start of the war, the superiority in technology. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 amazing. Um, Major General, thank you so much for your time. Great discussion. I really appreciate it.
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.